According to most researches, 195, now soak that number in, 195 million Americans are unchurched. So that would be two out of every three Americans that you talk to do not go to church at all. Less than 18%, if you want to break it down that way, attend church regularly. We're not talking about our kind of church, Bible-believing, soul-winning, Baptist church. We're talking church in general. Less than 18% of Americans attend church regularly on a Sunday. So what's, what's the problem? Where, where are we going wrong? Why, did, why the rapid decline? Well, in my opinion is that we don't go. We don't sow in like we should. We don't spread the gospel like we should. We don't disciple like we should. And people are out there and they are hungering for truth and they've tried everything that they can. And to them, spiritual truth doesn't make sense. And they're looking for somebody. They're looking for a church. They're looking for a person that can show them how the spiritual truth makes sense and apply in their life and how it can help them. You know, as Christians, we must strive to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that's basic, and I know that we hear that all the time, but it's so pivotal in Christianity that we understand that and that we soak that in, that it is our job, it is our duty, it is our commission from the Bible as Christians to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, to get them into church. Jesus set the example all throughout his ministry of people that he reached, of people that he led to himself. We see the Great Commission all the time where the Bible tells us, and commissions us to go out and to teach and to baptize. And we've heard sermon after sermon on it, but yet we're not doing it. But yet the average church isn't doing it. Yet the average Christian isn't doing it for any particular reason. I ask you this question this morning. Who this morning in the Sunday morning service was in church because of you? Who was sitting in these chairs this morning because of you? Because you led them to the Lord. Because God used you to have them here. There's a man named Mike Hayes who's been coming on our bus ministry for three weeks in a row now. If you look at this guy, you would not think that he would get on a bus of 60-plus kids and teenagers, but he does. <laughs> Hopefully it stays that way. He came to church the past three weeks, told me today before he left, I enjoy coming. I love coming. Why? Because Mr. Nicholas was in Dunkin' Donuts three weeks ago and was convicted by the Holy Spirit to witness to that man to hand him a track. And now he comes to church the past three weeks in a row. Most of you know a man named Stan, shorter guy, husky guy, comes usually every single Sunday. Sometimes he brings his wife. Our family's had them over for dinner before. This has had to be years ago, and I don't know if I have the story absolutely correct, but my dad was at a DMV, saw Stan in line. He was talking. Stan was ready to walk out, and something told my dad. In fact, the Holy Spirit told my dad, convicted him, talked to that man, invited him to church, led Stan to the Lord all these years later. He's in church. I think of the Bambicos right here. I think of a couple ladies who went out sewing on a Tuesday night and knocked on the door, and the Bambicos answered, and now they're a pivotal core part of our church because somebody went out and told them, and they're here tonight. I think of Miss Jen Proctor. I think of Miss Roseanne. I think of Miss Netta. I think of the Rowans. I think of the Jackies, and I can name probably a couple other families if I thought about it, who Sean decided, I'm going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And now here they are as a part of our church. See, imagine, and I think of this, I think of two little boys down in junior church this morning who've been coming to church for four weeks now and love it. And their mom tells us how they enjoy it. And man, they sing the songs and they read the, their scriptures and they memorize the verses and they're having a great time. Why? Because Catherine and Daniela a couple Saturdays ago decided to knock on a door and tell them about church. 
My point is tonight is imagine if everyone in our church sets out just to win one person to Christ, whether it's a stranger, whether it's a friend, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a family, whatever it would be, this church house would be even more packed and it would be overflowing with people if we set out to do what we're supposed to do. Not a hundred, not fifty, not five, one person that we could reach with the gospel. I took a, I took a class in Hiles Anderson called Starting a New Testament Church. And the professor made this statement, and you could, if you're a math person, I'm not. Me and Catherine are trying to break this down, but this is what he stated, and it'll, it'll drive you crazy thinking about it, but it adds up if you really take the time to break it down. But here's what he said. If we win one, talking about myself, I'll use myself for an example. If I win one convert, and I disciple that convert to be a soul winner and a discipler, and I do that once for 30 years, straight, and the person and the people that I disciple do the same exact thing for 30 years straight. In 30 years, we could see close to a billion converts in this world and in our country. You do the math and break that down. Just think about it. I know it's, it's your brain, you start trying to do that math, and it's hard, and it's, uh, it, it gives you brain cramps, but when you break it down, one person, once a year, to be a soul winner, to be a discipler, and I decided to do that for 30 straight years, and that person decides to do the same thing for 30 straight years, and that person does it for 30 straight years, we could see in 30 years millions, maybe billions of converts, Christians, in our country. See, when you look at the book of Acts, you see Christians who impacted their city and eventually their world for Christ. I told you before when we started, I believe that God has great plans for our church. God's given us a pastor with a vision to reach our city and surrounding cities, to plant churches, to win souls, to change lives for God's glory. But it's going to take us doing what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. It's going to take us doing and going back to the basics in the book of Acts exactly what they did. So the question therein lies tonight, so what can we do? What can we do to get the gospel out effectively? What can we do to impact our city? What can we do to see our church continue to go in the direction that it's going in? If you turn your Bible real quickly tonight, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 36. Matthew 9 verse 36. This is talking about Jesus here. And I'll read the one verse It says... You'd follow along as I read if you're there. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. What can we do? Number one, ask God to give you a burden. Jesus looked on the crowds and it said he had compassion on them. His heart broke because of all the people that he saw that didn't know Christ, that didn't have someone to lead them and show them the truth. And he had compassion. He had a burden for souls. You understand tonight, the flesh never wants to serve God. It doesn't want to leave its comfort zone. It doesn't want to knock on a door. It doesn't want to talk to a coworker. It doesn't want to talk to a friend. It doesn't want to talk to a family member about Jesus. It doesn't want to leave its comfort zone. But can I tell you tonight, Christian, if we could step out of that comfort zone, if we can die to self and die to flesh and go back to the basics of the Bible and ask God, give me a burden for souls. Give me a burden for our city. 80,000 plus people in our city. I look at our bus ministry this morning and we're excited because we're growing and God is doing great things and we've had over 60 the past two weeks, but 60 is scratching the surface of 80,000 plus people in our city. I shared this with our bus workers and our soul owners a couple weeks ago, but I think it's worth showing you tonight. 
If you could turn to Luke, and I believe it's Luke chapter 4. I could be wrong on that, but Luke chapter 4. I want to show you something, a very familiar story. The Bible talks about the rich man and Lazarus. And I think I'm wrong on Luke chapter 4, and I didn't write it down. Does anybody know? Shout it out loud. 16. I'm way off. All right, Luke chapter 16. That's why we have Mr. Vasek here. All right, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, tells us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We all know the story, but I just want to give you some perspective real quick this evening and share it with you. I think it's worth noticing. The Bible says we know the story of Lazarus, who's the poor man, and the rich man, and the poor man knocks at the rich man's door while they're on earth and begs him for food and begs him for money and asks him for help. He never does it. He ignores him. Eventually, they both die, and the Bible tells us that the rich man was not saved, and he died and went to hell, and the poor man, Lazarus, was saved, and he went and lived in heaven. The Bible says, and if you look in verses uh, 26 through 31, it starts to talk about that rich man who's dying and he's burning in hell. The Bible says, and just so you know, hell is a very real, literal place, side note. But the Bible says that he's there, and he's burning in hell, and there's so much pain and so much agony that he looks up to heaven, and he can see Lazarus in heaven, and he says, can you just take your finger and dip it in water and just touch my tongue just to relieve so pain? It's so hot. It's so painful down here. Can you just do that? And Lazarus knows that he can't do it. Their decisions have been made. They're now in eternity. And so the rich man starts to, comes, comes to grip with reality. But he makes one final plea to Lazarus. And I want to show you that in verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come in this place of torment. The rich man in bur- burning in hell has a sense of urgency an eternal perspective where he sees heaven and hell, and he has a burden for the souls of his friends and brethren. God help us if there's a man who's dying and burdened in hell who has a bur- more burden for souls than we do as Christians in our church. He's there dying and burning in hell and says, please send them. They'll believe if you tell them. He has a burden, a sense of urgency, conviction. Tell them. They'll believe. Man, the urgency, the burden for souls he has. And that's what we need as Christians. We need to ask God to give us a burden. You know, we realize hell is a real, literal place. It's not a fantasy. It's not a story. It's not a video game. It is a real place that exists. The first time I came to grips with this was in high school. I had a kid who I went to high school with, and I got my driver's license, and his parents worked at a restaurant in Brookfield, and I drove by that restaurant on my way home every day from school. And he would always say to me, hey, Zach, can you drop me off on your, on your way home? I know you're going to the shores and you pass the restaurant. Said, yeah, no problem, Don. And I would drive him my senior year probably two, three times a week. And I went off to Bible college, kind of lost touch with him. I know he went to Westcon to study. And I came back that summer, and one of my friends from high school, we were touching base, and said, hey, did you hear what happened to Don? I said, no, what happened? He's at Westcon studying. Said, yeah, well, he was at Westcon and he was going from his class and he was walking across the street and a drunk driver flew through the intersection and killed him like that. And I remember sitting there and thinking, not one time did I tell him about church. Not one time did I share the gospel with him. 
Why? Because I was afraid? Because I didn't want to get out of my comfort zone? Because my life was so good that I didn't want to inconvenience myself? And unless anyone talked to him, I have to live with that the rest of my life, that he might be burning in hell, a very real, literal place, because I didn't open my mouth. May may ask God to give us a burden for souls, to give us a burden to reach people. What can we do? Ask God to give us a burden. What can we do? Number two, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we won't be long tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, Galatians, Ephesians, and you can go to verse 18. What can we do? Ask God to give you a burden. But number two, Ephesians 5.18, the Bible says this. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. What can we do? Ask God to give you a burden. Number two, live a consistent, Spirit-filled life. A consistent, Spirit-filled life. As Christians who are striving to obey God and produce fruit and reach people, it is pivotal, it is pivotal that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are Spirit-filled Christians. So many times the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in religion is so many times it's confused and it's twisted and it's perverted, but man, it is so important that we understand we have the Spirit of God, if we are saved tonight, living in us. And if we would just yield to it on a daily basis, the things that God could do with us are incredible. You know, most of you Sunday school teachers, we teach stories in, uh, about the Old Testament. And we talked today, I think it was about David and Joshua. And we've talked about Daniel. And we talk about Abraham. And we talk about Moses. And we talk about all these great heroes of the faith. But can I tell you tonight, none of them, none of those heroes who we look at and say, man, those are great Christians. God did some great things through them. None of them have what we have today. None of them had the Holy Spirit. None of them had the Spirit of God living inside them. And yet God used them. They had the faith to do what God did with them. And we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And if we could decide, hey, can we just be, not live a life that, man, where we're tired, we're worn out, we're content, we're flesh-driven, we're, we're nitpicky, we're, we're talking about this person and that person and getting caught up in so many things that don't matter when instead we wake up on a, Daily basis and say, you know what, God, Holy Spirit, I'm yielding to you. I'm, I'm dying to self. I'm dying to my flesh. God, use me. Fill me with your spirit. Use me in a way that I never could have imagined. You know, if we're going to change life, if we're going to be soul winners, if we're going to make a difference in our city, I'm not, uh, my charisma, my skill, your charisma, your skill, Zach Kinsman cannot change a life. But can I tell you that the conviction, the justification, the sanctification, the glorification of the Holy Spirit most certainly can change a life. And you have that Holy Spirit tonight living inside of you. And as Christians, we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. We want to change a life. We want to win a soul. We want to see God work through us. It is important that we yield to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Yield to the Spirit. Ask Him to use you and watch what God will do with you and who God will use you to reach. What can we do? I said, number one, ask God to give you a burden. Number two, live a consistent, spirit-filled life. Number three, be prepared. Be prepared. Say, what do you mean? I mean, Christian, know your Bible. Know the verses on salvation. I'm not asking you to study the doctrine of angels and the doctrine of the end times and all those things, but know your basic doctrines of the Bible. Know your Romans road. Those memory verses that we give to our junior church kids, man, we should know those verses too. We should know our Bible. We should know the doctrines. How are we going to win someone to the Lord or 
pass on our faith to the next generation when we have a weak hold on the Bible, when we do not even know how to walk someone through the Romans road. Hey, be prepared. Know your Bible. Hey, carry tracks with you. Pastor Wilkerson always used to say to us at college, you know the people who are going to pass out tracks? The people who have them. Have tracks in your pocket at all times. Be prepared. You never know when you're going to be in a DMV and a guy's going to be walking out and the Holy Spirit says, give that man a track. And you hand out a track and give it to him and he's in your church every single week afterwards. You don't know. Be prepared. Know your Bible. Know your doctrine. Know the salvation plan. Learn it. Memorize it. Be prepared. Carry tracks with you. We can't expect to have a loose grip on our Bible doctrines and reach people for Christ. Never mind. Take our faith and pass it on to our teenagers, the next generation, when we don't know it ourselves. Know your Bible, study your Bible, read your Bible. What can we do? Ask God to give you a burden. Live a consistent, spirit-filled life. Be prepared. Number four, turn to Mark chapter 16. Most of you all know this, but I want to show it to you tonight anyways. Mark chapter 16, and we're going to look at verse 15. What can we do to reach our city? What can we do to win a person to Christ? Ask God to give you a burden. Live a consistent, spirit-filled life. Be prepared. And turn to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And I'll read it. And he said unto them, go. What can we do? Go. What can we do? Go. I'm not talking about Saturday soul winning. I'm not using this to recruit you to the bus route because there's a couple of workers and we're trying to bring all these people to church. That's fine. God will take care of that. I'm not worried about that tonight. I'm not even talking about that, although that might be a good place to start. But I'm talking about tonight, if I ask each person in this room tonight to take out a piece of paper, I'm going to give you 60 seconds, and I'm going to give you a pen, and I want you on that blank piece of paper in the next 60 seconds to write down as many people as you know that you interact with on a weekly basis, whether it's at work, whether it's at your family, your neighbors, whatever it may be here at church, but you know, and you interact with them, write their name down if you know they're not saved in the next 60 seconds. And then in 60 seconds, turn that into me. And I guarantee you that every single person in this room tonight, if they took 60 seconds to write down as many names as they knew of people who were not saved, we would have at least an average of five people per person. You talk, there's 50 people here tonight, you're talking 250, 300 people among us tonight that we know as a collective group who are not saved. So start there. Start there. Ask God to open doors. Give them a track. Talk to them. Share the gospel. Invite them to church. Hey, next Sunday is a great opportunity. Harvest Sunday where we have a big day to to push them and ask them to be here. But go and make something happen for God. You know, one of my favorite sports quotes of all time, Michael Jordan says, there's those people who just sit around and wait for things to happen, and there are some people who go and make it happen. Sometimes you just got to go and you just got to make it happen. Pastor talked about a couple months ago how God doesn't make anything out of nothing. He talked about the only time he ever did that was creation. So why do we think that if we just sit down and wait for someone to get saved or someone to come up to us and say, hey, Brother Fred, what must I do to be saved? It ain't going to happen. Sometimes you just got to go. Sometimes you just got to go there and you got to make it happen. You got to talk to that coworker. You got to, like I said, have a burden. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be prepared and then go. Talk to somebody. Knock on a door. Talk to a friend. Talk to a coworker. Tell them about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't sit around for weeks and wait for the right opportunity. Time is too short. Things are going down too fast. 
There's too many people to wait around. There's too many people to have Christians who are just content with their life. They make their job. They make their paycheck. They have their house. They stash away their money in their 401k account. And that's all fine. That's great. That's good. We all need to do that and be prepared. But, man, we need Christians who have a burden for people. We need Christians who are going out and reaching people and sharing the gospel if we're going to make a difference. Number five, what can we do? I said number four, go. Number five, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. You'll never know, or you'll be surprised what God will do if you just go and open your mouth and talk to people. There have been many times where I am ashamed to say that I didn't go. The Holy Spirit told me to talk to someone, and I didn't. There have been times, man, when I was thrilled, I went, and I was nervous, and I'm glad I didn't. Think of the Sunday dinner a few months ago. Me and Catherine were there, and we were watching a family eat, and man, something just said, hey, there's a mom and a dad and a couple kids. Go talk to them about church. Invite them to church. I know we're not always supposed to do that at the Sunday dinner, but that particular Sunday, some, something told me to go do that. And thank God I listened. Me and Catherine went. We talked to the family. I didn't even know if they, if they spoke English, to be honest with you, but I just went. I listened to what God was telling us to do. And sure enough, that mom and that dad come to church. Their kids ride the bus every single Sunday. For the most part, the mom and dad are in Mr. Nicholas's Sunday school class. And I praise the Lord. Why? Just because I opened my mouth and went. If you just go, God will do the rest. If you're spirit-filled, God will work through you. But just go. Do something that he can work with and that he can use. Matthew chapter 28. You're in your Bible. Look at verse 19. He said, what can we do? We can ask God to give us a burden. We can be spirit-filled and live consistent lives. We can be prepared. We can go. And then number five, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach and teach all nations. Disciple. You know, if someone had a newborn baby tomorrow morning, the doctor would not take that newborn baby. Oh, congratulations. Take the newborn baby and then walk them outside and put them on the street corner. All right, good luck. See you later. But so many times as Christians, that's what we do. We win someone to the Lord. They raise their hand in our class that they get saved and you're on your own. Man, we need people who are going to disciple them in the faith. Go to pastor and ask how we have an organized structural plan, how we can disciple somebody. Reach someone on your own and disciple them in the faith. Teach them the doctrines of the Bible. Teach them about justification and sanctification and glorification. And, te- and if you don't know that stuff, get to learn it so you can teach others, so you can pass on your faith to other people. We have to nurture and love and feed and teach them. My challenge to you tonight, Northeast Baptist Church, is through all of this and these verses that we looked at is ask God to use you to reach one person for Christ this next year. One person that you lead to Christ, that God uses you to disciple, that God uses you to get them and maybe their family and church. Let's not be content as Christians to keep Christ to ourselves. Let's not be content of mediocrity. Let's not be scared of change and let's not be scared of reaching others. Man, they're too noisy. We bring these people, they're too, there's too much going on. It's out of our comfort. Don't be like that. Let's go. Let's reach. Let's teach. Let's see what God can use to reach, to use us to reach people and reach our city. You know, our pastor has a vision to reach this city and to see lives change and to grow our church and to reach New York City one day. And man, let's get behind that. Let's get behind that. And let's get behind what we have planned and what we want to do. But if we're going to get there, it's going to take people who are on one accord like Pastor talked about. It's going to take people who know how to get hold of God in prayer. And Pastor's talking about that on Wednesday night. And it's going to take Christians who are spirit-filled and soul winners. It's going to take Christians who go out and spread the seed. It's going to take Christians who go out and teach Others also. Proverbs chapter 11, and I'm almost done. 
In Proverbs chapter 11, I want to show you one more verse. Psalms, Proverbs. And while you're turning there, I'll say again for the third time tonight, I believe, man, that God is blessing our church. And man, I'm preaching to the choir tonight and God is doing so many great things through our church. And it's exciting to see full classrooms. It's exciting to see where we're looking at each other. Where are we going to fit this person in our classroom? And Mrs. Vasek was telling me, you know, her classroom's full with girls and I didn't know where to put them. Man, that's a good problem to have and it's exciting to see what God is doing. But man, let's do more. Let's not be content. Let's reach more people. Let's make it a goal that we can do our job as Christians that we're commissioned to do to reach more people. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The Bible says this, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And then notice this. And he that winneth souls is wise. And he that winneth souls is wise. You want wisdom in your life? You have a problem you're going through? You have stuff that's got the guy that's taking you through? God, what are you doing in my life? I don't know what's going on. Well, you need wisdom. You need wisdom from God. And here's a good place to start. Pass out a track. Win a soul. God says, those are the people that are wise. Those are the people that I'm going to bless. Those are the people that I'm going to take care of. He that winneth souls is wise. You don't have to be a little kid. You don't have to be a teenager. You don't have to be really old. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you're from. You can carry a gospel tract this week and pass it out to somebody. You can write a list of five or six people that you know that, man, I need to invite them to church. I need to open my mouth and talk to them. I see them every single day, and not one time have I told them, hey, you know, what, you, know, you know you're going to heaven when you die? Man, ask God to use you. Ask God to give you the confidence. Ask God to give you the boldness. The, 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 the Bible says that disciples were bold. Why? Because they were with Jesus. Man, spend time with Jesus. Ask him for that burden. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be prepared and then go and disciple and reach people so that we can see God take our church to that next level. So that we can have a church, a core group of believers who are soul winners, who are soul conscious, who are telling people about the gospel. You know, we complain and so many people say, man, there's so much going on in our world and everything is crazy and all this is going on. And man, uh, you look, turn on the news and sometimes it's depressing, sometimes it's sad, sometimes, man, this is just a crazy world we live in these days. All these things that are happening. You go on social media and you scroll and you read some of this stuff. What is going on? Can I tell you right now, if we have any hope in our country, if we have any hope in our city, if we have any hope with our families, it's going to start with Christians who tell others about Jesus. It's going to start with people going out and being a light in a dark world. It's going to start, and I'm going to steal a quote from Pastor Wilkerson, with someone going out and punching the hole in darkness for God. It's going to start with someone scattering the seed. And I challenge you tonight, Christian, you don't have to have some skill set. You don't have to be charismatic. You don't have to be some talkative person. Just go out and tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. Invite somebody to church. Share the gospel with them. Be prepared. Be spirit-filled. And then go. God's got your back. Leave the results with him. Just do what he commanded us to do. And you'll be amazed with the results. And a year from now, you can look at church and say, man, God used me to reach that family. God used me to reach that person. And man, what a blessing it'll be when we go to heaven and God says, hey, well done, that good and faithful servant, because you opened your mouth and you allowed God to use you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around tonight.